there are a lot of things I think out there that really, really frighten us. Um, you know, take it or leave it, whether you believe in ghosts or whether you believe in anything in the paranormal, uh, even your day-to-day. -day, I mean, there are things out there in the skies at night and things that you run into in your daily life that go and make you at least think, wow, what in the world was that? Um, so, you know, that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's about those things that go bump in the night, but also those things that make you scratch your head and go, yeah, I'm not so sure I've seen that one before. You know, I've got a, I've got a ton of stories. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite ones, when I was a kid, um, my father and my mother took me to, to the drive-in. And I think it was one of those, um, I don't know, probably double feature type uh, things, which most of those drive-ins were. And my my guess is the first movie was probably not as as crazy scary as as the one that followed it, but it was probably very mundane. And and, and keep in mind this was the seventies. It was probably a pretty mundane uh, movie. The second movie, however, definitely not the case. That second movie happened to be The Exorcist. Yes, that's right. My parents took me to go see The Exorcist. Now, let me backtrack just a little bit. I was a very much so a toddler, um, didn't actually even know how to talk, I don't think, but uh, they put me in the back seat of a 1969 Camaro, uh, but uh, anyway, I had, uh, I guess my bassinet and I had fallen asleep, so, you know, they figured, you know, coast is clear, watch this movie, and, uh, you know, by the time the second one rolls out, you know, he should be nice, sleep tucked away, and we can enjoy this mind-bending, spine-tingling movie, which I'm sure they didn't even realize it was that scary. So, anyway, carrying on. We, uh, I guess we went to this movie, and, you know, as typical old-style movie theaters go, or I'm sorry, as far as old-style drive-ins go, your audio source came in through your window on something you would basically latch or basically lean on your car door. It was a speaker. It was a very monotone, not the greatest fidelity, but, uh, you know, it was the 70s, but uh, anyway, so I guess this was cranked up a little bit, and they were watching The Exorcist, and I, they thought I had long since fallen asleep. Yeah, not so much. So, I guess it was one of those parts where the pin drop could have been heard anywhere in that drive-in, but, uh, you know, my mom and my dad were probably just really scrunched up there in the corner, and they were probably eating their popcorn, and everything was real and quiet and the scene comes up where where the girl pops her head open or whatever and vomits everywhere and does what you know the exorcist did and my interpretation of that was to stand up get right in the middle of the bench seat in the back put my hands on this the front seat while my parents were staring at the screen and I guess I thought it would be a good time to go blah, 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 blah. So when I did that, it scared the you know what out of my dad. I'm from my understanding, and the story goes, popcorn flew everywhere, and they screamed. And apparently, this scream went from car to car to car to car. So yeah, that's that was kind of my introduction, to scary movies. But anyway, I digress. So again, if you don't believe in ghosts, that's okay. You don't have to. Um, and if you're kind of a uh, skeptical of the paranormal, hey, glad to have you. So that's what today's podcast is about, and we'll move on to our first topic.
So, on the subject of the exorcism, did you know that was a, well, it was based on a true story? Now, I didn't know this most of my life, and I would imagine there's a great deal of you that, that probably don't know this either. But I live in Missouri. Didn't used to, but I live here now. And every time we go to St. Louis, uh, my wife tells me about the, the exorcist story. And um, so, yeah, it, it did take place. It was, it was in St. Louis. Um, and I, there is no real identification of the person, but it was not a female. It was a male. And from my understanding, they called it male Robbie or, or something like that. But um, anyway... They had originally lived in Washington, D.C., but had close ties to the St. Louis area. So, one family member uh, that was close to Robbie invested in, or was interested, rather, in spiritualism. So, I guess the reports claim that uh, she introduced Robbie to the Ouija board. That was probably a bad move. <laughs> so, this game was conceived in the 19th century, so, you know, spiritualism had kind of, kind of become this worldwide phenomenon. But uh, at any rate, uh, following his Aunt Tilly's death, he allegedly tried to contact her with this Ouija board, and that's when the fun started to happen. But uh, anyway, I, I do know that this particular this particular boy moved to San, San Diego, which is where I was, well, it's where I went to high school, so it was my formidable years. Still didn't know anything about the guy. So to put more of a fine point on it, uh, St. Louis University, they had some Jesuits that were called in to give this young boy a hand. And as rumor has it, uh, these bishops were told about these strange events, so they went to the, uh, to the home where Robbie currently was. So they decided to, well, I guess their plan was to bless the home, which makes perfect sense. But when they arrived, Robbie's bed was shaking. So I would imagine they did what any other priest would do, and they sprinkled holy water on the bed. Well, apparently, uh, oh, also, they did make the sign of the cross, which, you know, that, that's the given. But apparently, when they, when they sprinkled the holy water, the bed stopped shaking. So, yeah, so I guess they figured, hey, good deed done. Here we are. This, this kid should be fine. Sprinkled some holy water on the uh, bed, and now it's, it stopped. So, I guess they figured we'll pack up, head out, and everything should be good. Well, maybe, maybe not, because two days later... Robbie suffered long scratches in the shape of a cross, and objects were thrown, including holy water, all across the room. Yeah, I don't think that worked out so good. So, the bishop decided to ask the St. Louis Archbishop at the time for the formal rite of exorcism. And, of course, that Archbishop agreed, otherwise he wouldn't have this amazing movie. Well, needless to say, the exorcism was performed. It wasn't performed all in one night, mind you. This whole thing went out for, I believe, a month. So, the, the story kind of goes that as the priest prayed, Robbie's reactions became extreme. Well, I mean, if you ask me, if you have a couple of priests in your room throwing holy water all over you, I mean, my reactions would probably be pretty extreme, too. Um, but apparently, his legs, his arms did some wild things, and... I guess he fought and screamed, and and in a diabolical hitch, pitched voice, he was uh, he was probably pretty difficult to deal with. And there's some reports of manifestations on his body and other physical things. So this was during the entire exorcism process. So.
so I guess apparently he decided, well, this kid is not doing any better, so let's, I don't know, let's hospitalize the kid. So I guess on Easter Monday, Robbie awoke, and he realized he was in the hospital, and that would probably pretty much freak out a whole bunch of people. Did they ease off on the kid? No, sure didn't. They decided, hey, we got him in a stationary spot. Let's just keep performing that exorcism because, you know, that's what we do. Well, needless to say, it was it was probably not the most comfortable situation for Robbie, and it, it looked like it was just a terrible, terrible situation. So, anyway, I give you that history only to tell you that the exorcism did actually happen. Uh, this was a true story. At least it was based on a true one anyway. So, you know, it wasn't just fabricated. Now, I don't know. I don't know that I believe in exorcisms. Um, I believe that people can have their own demons. I don't know that any one particular demon can have control over someone. Uh, now, I, I could be wrong, um, but that's something that, that, you know, that I feel. And I would hope that if there was such a thing as an exorcism, that we would have Jesuits and priests and people like that that can help us. So, yeah. So that's about exorcism. So let's talk a little bit about ghosts. Yeah, I believe in ghosts. I believe in them quite passionately, to be honest with you. Now, there are a ton of people out there that say there's no such thing as a ghost, and and I've never seen such a thing, and I need some proof. Well, okay, that's fine. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion, right? But if you've never been in a situation where you've been confronted by it, or you're just not open to it, yeah, I would imagine you could probably go through most of your life thinking, well, that stuff just doesn't exist, and these people are nuts. Okay, that's fair. So, I'm going to take you back a bit. Um, so, I, I come from a couple of different areas. I, I was originally from the Arizona, Tucson, Arizona region, and then we moved to, to San Diego uh, when I was in right ending into the formidable years, kind of your high school, moving on to college type situation, but... So anyway, I say all that because I was raised around a lot of spiritual people. Uh, Arizona um, is kind of known for being a very spiritual area, especially in the Tucson vicinity. And I am a brown-skinned man, so <laughs> there is a lot of cultural diversity when it comes to spirituality and also talking about the occult and ghosts. Now, I say that because a ghost in my culture does not always mean a specter that is there to cause problems. It also has a lot to do with how you conversate with loved ones and people that have passed. And I know that's not just attributed to my culture, but that is part of what uh, my culture did and does to this day. So to say I believe in ghosts, I do. I 100% believe in ghosts. I've seen things that uh, I guess I could never explain to anybody else but I've just seen them. Sometimes people are with me and sometimes they're not. I've been out in the desert late at night, seen lights of things that just don't exist in the regular world. I've seen strange things in the skies when in Arizona, if you're ever there at night, you'll know that it is awfully clear out in the desert. You see things and, and you go, wow, that is that a shooting star? What is that? You know, and that's the whole UFO craze. But anyway, I digress. You see a lot of things when it's dark out there, and there's a lot of spirituality in that desert. It is alive. It is not dead. Having had a lot of encounters, I choose this one in particular because I was not alone. 
We're driving home from the movies one day in San Antonio, and the girl I was dating at the time was in the passenger seat, and I had a couple of friends in the back seat. We were driving on one of the interstates. You know, not too strange of a night. It was clear, not any rain. I could see just fine in front of me. I was young, so it's not like I had the terrible eyes that I have now. And as I'm driving roughly at about 50 miles an hour from left to right, I saw this just this weird black anamorphous blob go from left to right awfully quick. And it just it I just kind of stuttered for a second. And as I did that, I looked to my right and the girl, she <laughs> she looked at me like, did you see that? I'm like, yeah, I did see that. What the heck was that? And the people in the back seat went, um, okay. So that was verified by four people at one time. I've never seen anything like that before. And to this day, I've not seen anything like it again. If you want to say it was a ghost, say it was a ghost. If you want to say it was some kind of strange phenomenon caused by speed and and light and something that came naturally from the earth hey that's your prerogative but i know what i saw and i know what those three individuals would say they saw it too so that was just one and that freaked me out big time so i guess the magical question is are ghosts real well i personally believe they are but it is a matter of personal choice if you don't believe in them hey your prerogative so with that in mind let's move on the next thing I want to talk about are cryptids if you don't know what a cryptid is it's a uh, <clears throat> an existence of an animal that has never been seen before and typically it's like a, a monster or some strange thing that's that's here that we've never recorded it's not like it hasn't happened before everybody knows or at least some of you know about the squid the giant octopus that they found. Um, it was long since believed to exist. There was a lot of legends about it. And it's only been, gosh, I can't, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know when it was found, but it's it's been found. There's recorded evidence. Yeah, so that was a cryptid. Uh, of course, you got your Bigfoot, you've got your uh, Loch Ness. So they exist out there, in theory. But the one I want to talk about today is called the Tombstone Thunderbird. And the reason I want to bring that up is it's kind of, well, well, it's where I was kind of brought up. That's that's my that's my territory. And I remember hearing about this for years, you know, dad talked about it, uh, grandpa still talks about it, but what people have described it as like a pterodactyl looking uh, beast that flies, of course, and uh, it's never been proven. And of course, a lot of people have, have subsequently debunked it. Uh, there's been photos that have been debunked, but it is part of a Native American culture, and which is one of the reasons that I want to bring it up. The origin dates back to the 1890s, in fact, 1890 to be exact. So in the Tubestone Epitaph, which is a, which still is, incidentally, a uh, newspaper in Tombstone. So this was the same Tombstone newspaper that recorded the OK Corral stuff, so... You know, it's been around forever. It's not really around now, but it is in a very tongue-in-cheek way. They, You can go to where they printed this stuff, and there's still the printing presses. Anyway, I digress. It, it's just it's a really cool place to go. But anyway, in, uh, I think it was April 26th of 1980, the Tombstone Epitaph actually had 
a report of two ranchers um, discovered a winged monster. After they got over the initial fright of what they had seen, the two ranchers, basically they hunted this thing down on foot, and I guess the bird put up one heck of a fight, but they eventually killed it with several blasts from a Winchester rifle. Well, there's nothing like a little bit of OK Corral in everybody. Anyway. I guess the men measured it. It was about uh, 100 feet in length. Oh, no, excuse me, 160 feet in length and 50 inches in diameter. And its wings, get this, its wings were about 78 feet each in length. That is one heck of a big bird. <laughs> anyway, the, new, the newspaper summarized it as being a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings. I don't know a ton of alligators out there with wings, but hey, this is the desert. So is this cryptid real? I don't know. First of all, you have to believe in cryptids, which I believe in them because some have been proven to be right. But for the most part, I think this one's kind of a, a debunker because I don't know about you, but a, a bird flying around with that big of a wingspan, I'd probably tend to see that and I probably would not be the only one. I think it adds to an interesting lore to Tombstone. If you've ever been there, it's a, it's, a, it's a place rich in history, and there's definitely some icky, weird feelings you get while you're there, because going kind of touching back to the ghost thing we talked about, uh, it's a pretty legendary uh, haunted area. So it does add to it, but I, I just personally don't believe in this one. But I do find it incredibly interesting. So the next thing I want to talk about, and probably the last thing I'm going to talk about, UFOs. So being raised in the 80s, uh, having been born in the early 70s, I was, uh, I was, I guess, gifted to be able to see some of the most amazing movies. Uh, and that's definitely some topics we'll bring up later on in other podcasts. But we had some amazing movies out there that were sci-fi about, about UFOs and aliens coming down. Of course, the big ones, you know, we can all remember those. Uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, Starman, um, and that, that, believe me, that just scratches the surface. E.T. There were so many out there, and they were amazing. But, you know, none of them really tell you for sure whether they exist or not. It's all just a, a, a fun and entertaining way to, to get people into seats to see a movie. But it touches on a subject that some people have come into contact with. And I am no different. I, too, have. Uh, so, I sort of remember a story when I was young about a guy in Snowflake, Arizona, Travis Walton. So, Travis Walton, uh, there is a movie out there, it's called Fire in the Sky, and if you get a chance to watch it, it's not too terribly bad, it's, it's actually pretty good. Um, it is a, I think a 90s flick, but uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, so, this guy, Travis Walton, and his uh, team, they were, uh, if I remember right, they were loggers? Uh, they would go out, obviously, they'd cut down trees, and this is northern Arizona, by the way. Yes, we do have trees in Arizona. But, uh, so they went up north, and they, uh, they did some cutting down, they did some logging, and I guess one night on their way back from a job, they spotted something in the forest, and it had these glowing lights, and, and people were really scared of it in the car, and I think there was about, I want to say about five, six of them in a, uh, in a truck, like a crew cab type. And uh, so they stopped to take a look at these lights, and uh, needless to say, they were pretty spooked. I mean, who wouldn't be? But uh, I, I guess Travis Walton decided to get out and take a be get a better look. And I don't blame the guy. I mean, when, 
When you see something like that, you're not going to just stand idle. I mean, I wouldn't anyway. So I guess Travis gets out. He walks over there. Uh, kind of gets kind of in close proximity of this thing. And a beam of light shoots right at him. Whoop! And uh, I guess... And believe me, I'm not the foremost expert of this. But I guess he was zapped and kind of in a trance. And reports are that it lifted him off the ground. And there he was, sort of floating in midair with his beam on him. And the guys in the truck did the one thing I think probably most of us would do. And I tilled it right out of there. So, of course, these guys felt bad. Uh, they kind of just left him and assumed him to be either dead. I don't know. Uh, please watch the movie or read the book. There's tons of stuff out there. But anyway, sometime later, uh, they, they show that this guy's missing. Nobody can find him. And sometime later, dude shows up in uh, in a town not that far away, or if memory serves, it was some distance before they'd seen him, and I think where he lived. And I, I, from my understanding, he was I think naked or something. I don't know. Probably a terrible story for me to tell because I don't know enough about it. But anyway, uh, he had this incredible tale about having been taken aboard a ship and had these just horrific uh, procedures done to him. You know, of course, the probes that everybody loves to, loves to laugh at about. Thank you, Cartman. But, uh, you know, just these, these really elaborate, painful uh, tests that they did on him. And, you know, he recounts of just, just awfulness. And he was not the only one there. He could see that there were many, many people, human beings, that were on this ship. So, that's one story. And I always find it really interesting because, to this day... I don't think any of them have failed to polygraph. They they polygraph these guys, and they all, well, they think they're telling the truth anyway. But uh, there's that story, and I think the one that affects me the most is one of my own. So Dad and I were driving back from San Diego once, and right around Yuma, it's pretty flat and kind of just blah. I mean, once you get past the really cool sand dunes that Return of the Jedi was filmed at, plug, um... You know, it just, it just becomes just kind of like a wasteland, which you would probably expect Arizona to maybe look like. And um, out in the skies in the distance, we kind of noticed something. And I I guess I thought it was just a balloon or a kind of like a Zeppelin-looking thing. So I didn't pay it much attention because I was the one driving. But it was one of those where you kind of look at it from the corner of your eye and go, Oh, okay, that's, that's a little different. But I just thought it was, you know, maybe a farmer using some kind of new technology to, to feed his crops. I don't know. But my dad, who had kind of dozed off, kind of woke up, and looks over and he says, Do you see that? I'm like, what? He says, you know, do you see that over there? There's something something in the sky over there. Yeah, Dad, I saw that. It's no big deal. I think it's just a balloon or, a, or I don't know, some kind of dirigible of some sort. A dirigible? You probably need to look again. So it was about that point, I kind of take a little bit of a longer look, so we're on a pretty long stretch of freeway so I can look, and this thing had changed from what I had seen to kind of just looking like this big floating steel cigar in the sky. Yeah, we pulled over. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Now, I really wish this would have happened in the days of, of iPhones and smartphones with, you know, recording studios in your pocket, but unfortunately, it was not. And I really wish I had a picture of it, but it was just this enormous floating thing that made zero noise, nothing. And it just seemed to be moving carelessly through the sky. And, and we were just kind of, both of us wouldn't say a word to each other, we were just staring at this thing. 
And before we knew it, it just sort of vanished. I can't tell you it flew away. I can't tell you that we blinked and missed it. It was like one second it was there. And one second it was gone. And that freaked us both out pretty well. So we get back in the truck, start headed back to Tucson. And I think the most we ever said was, well, that was weird. <laughs> but that was one experience. And that was a personal one. And Arizona is just one of those hotbeds, you know. So I don't know if you remember, there was the lights in Phoenix that kind of looked like a V formation. Uh, I want to say, what year did that happen? Yeah, that's right, 1997. So, if you're not familiar with the story, you should look over light or look up lights over Phoenix. It was a, it was a series of really, really interesting, widely sighted. It wasn't just like one person. We're talking about all over Phoenix, and I think most of Arizona. There was these unidentified flying objects, of course, UFOs, and um, it was just it was very ominous. So the reports are sort of one of those where. You hear it all the time. It's like this big thing comes across the sky, made no noise, you know, yada, yada, yada. That was nothing different than any other UFO sighting. But what made it so interesting is that there's video of this happening. And most of the, uh, most of the debunkers say, well, it's, it's flares. Look, I'm here to tell you, I was in the Navy. I worked with F-14s. I know all about flares. Trust me, this was not flares. They say that maybe these flares were attached to helium balloons. It would have to be one heck of a strong helium balloon to handle the heat that comes from a flare. And I'd like to see how the flare wouldn't burn what was holding it in place. Again, I think that's a ridiculous explanation, but hey, that's what was given from Luke Air Force Base, and that's what everybody went with. But what, find, what I find really interesting is just how many people saw it. And it wasn't like a one-day phenomenon. I think this actually happened over a course of, I think, a few days. And it wasn't like people that you would expect to be, you know, a guy sitting in a in a minivan in an RV park, just kind of half half haphazardly drunk looking out of the sky going, Hey, what's that out in the sky? No, it wasn't that at all. We're talking about Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona, and we'll get back to him in a second. And some very important people within society. Uh, so there was, it was something that a lot of people really think was the UFO event of, of I guess, in history. It was, it was the big one. And, of course, you know, the governor's response was really bad. Five Symington, he held a press conference, and they made a big joke. And I guess Five Symington had some dude dress up as an alien and held a press conference that said, we caught him. Dumb. Was just, I mean, really taking the, taking that real, I guess it was an experience that these people had, you know, and just really made a mockery out of it. And I think maybe that was done, I don't know, maybe, maybe intentionally. I don't know, but it, it's something that I think you should look up, but I don't think that it's one of those that you can just as easily fluff off as, well... That didn't really exist. It didn't really happen. There was just way too many people that saw it. There's video of it all over YouTube. And there's, I mean, it was enough to have to have a press conference. Now think about that. So many people in the city of Phoenix saw this thing that the governor of Arizona had to go on TV to have some kind of response. 
that did not ever happen prior to that, at least to my knowledge. To me, that adds a lot of validity. It was enough that they scrambled Air Force bases for it. There was F-16 stuff out there. I mean, this thing rattled a lot of cages. So, you should look that one up. And there's there's a lot of really cool stories out there you can talk about. Um, I want to say Florida, that's a really big hotbed. There are places where there are stories of, of abduction, uh, much like the Travis Walton story. And there are hotbeds. Another hotbed in Arizona, there's a huge hole outside of Bisbee, Arizona, where they did uh, copper mining. And I can tell you right now, you couldn't stop an individual on the streets of Bisbee that at least is a local and ask them if they believe in UFOs because you'll be there a while. They've seen things out there. But at any rate, listen, if you guys have made it this long, thank you so much for stopping in and taking a, taking a beat with me, talk about the paranormal. You know, this is going to be one of those podcasts where we just kind of cover a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I think the reason I chose this as my premiere is that you know, it's no big secret. We're getting older. And there's a lot of things that, that I still thirst for information on that, that I, I guess growing up, I never really got uh, got a full answer, and I probably won't. But as you get a little bit older, you start to you start to think back on things in the past, and, and you start to reminisce about things. And, you know, unfortunately, I lost Dad a long time ago, and can't, can't really recount it with him. And, you know, we lose people from the past, and we still get these memories. And I guess this is just a way to kind of bring back those memories, look forward, and maybe we'll get an answer in the future for these things. And maybe, just maybe, we can thirst for more information, get off our couches, go out in the world, and explore it again, as we should have for a long time. But, you know, obviously some things have happened in the last few years that have left us really homebound. So, it's with that, I'm going to sign off. Hey, thanks again. Please listen to every one of these podcasts if you want. I'll try to bring them out as much as possible, maybe weekly. I'm sure going to try, if not, at least as, as bi-weekly as I can. So with that, you guys have a good night.